Our Father, we come to these moments together with anticipation. We worship a speaking God, and we want to prioritize your voice. So would you give us courage and confidence to do that work? Would you, Holy Spirit, come and instruct us? And I pray that in each of our stories where we bump into the contours of a narrative of a a failed hero, someone that we thought would deliver, and they didn't, or more painfully yet, where we have been the failed hero in someone else's life. I pray that you would teach us how to tell our story, that you would come and restore and encourage, that you'd speak into those very places. We thank you, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So ours is a story of heroes, heroes that we prop up and heroes that fail us. It's the story from the time we're young. Um, I'm excited that the Astros are up 3-0. I'm not excited that, yeah, that's right. That's, this is an exciting day to be a Houstonian. It's a little bit disappointing that Altuve's one for 26. You know, it's those sorts of, that, that's one of those heroes where I'm like, I'm expecting him to deliver a little more than he's delivering. We all have hopes in people that we say, surely they're, gonna, they're going to deliver. Sometimes it's as simple as someone that is just in a hitting slump, but sometimes it's a lot more painful the people that have shaped us and influenced us when they pan out to not be who we thought they were. Um, One of the men that taught me how to read the scriptures, he taught me apologetics, he discipled me when I was young, decided that he didn't believe any of it after his time spent with me and he moved to LA to be a male model. He made shipwreck of his faith and said, you ought to do the same. You know, there's these moments where you're looking into something and you're going, you're the one that helped me forge some of this and now... Where, where do you stand with it? There's these moments where people that we thought were going to deliver, they just, they don't. And sometimes it's really, it's really painful when our, when our hero narratives crumble. Um, this summer at our house was the summer of Ben Rector. We're late to the Ben Rector game. If you're a fan, our family had never really listened to him, but we, we listened to him all summer together. And one of the songs that my boys and my wife and I were singing as we were out on the road as a song called Heroes. And uh, on his most recent album, he says this, I miss my old heroes. God, I wish they could have stayed. It turns out the, the hardest part of growing up is not getting old, but it's learning how the real world goes. He says, I miss my Bible study teacher. He had all the answers for living in a big bad world, but I don't know if he still talks to Jesus. His wife is remarried now, and I think he sells garage doors. He goes on to say later, I miss my old heroes. I miss back when the world was small and we had all of the answers. I miss how it was when we were young. I miss back before I understood all the ways that that life was going to break your heart. Before I knew that that's what they call growing up, I miss my old heroes. You see, we... We all have these moments where we go, ah, that's growing up. Growing up is being disappointed by the people I thought would deliver, and they didn't. And in some ways, I think it's, it's this journey that this text has us on this morning, because we are, we are 
interacting with someone who, to this point, for just reading straight through the text as we have been, they have been heroic in nearly all of their ways as we've been interacting with Noah. We've been wondering, is he going to be the one to deliver? Have we finally found that snake crusher that was promised to us in the early chapters of Genesis? And, and we're going to have to wrestle with the uncomfortable realities of a failed hero in the text and figure out where does that fit in the larger story? And more pointedly for our own purposes, we're going to have to understand how do we tell stories? How do we tell our own story and the story of our family and the ways that it is marked by failed heroes at every turn? How do we make sense of that and learn to tell our own stories? You see, this morning, we're going to learn the contours of the failed hero story. And we're going to ask God, what do we do with it? It strikes me is incredibly timely on a morning where we're dedicating babies. And so in part, I'm I'm preaching this to parents that are looking at precious little ones and trying to figure out how do we go on this journey knowing that, that we too will be failed heroes, that we won't be able to live up to all of our promises. I must admit there was a little bit of a sinking feeling when I realized I was preaching on Noah drunk and naked in his tent on, on the morning where we were dedicating babies, but I do think it's, I think it's pointed. I think it's important for us to see together. Um, the joys of preaching straight through the Bible, I, I promise, this wouldn't be the one that like a top draft pick where I'm like, you know what I want to preach? Noah naked and drunk. But when, when we don't cherry pick in the text, but we let it work through us. It meets us in places where we really need it to meet us. And so let's go on that journey together. The contours of a failed hero story. The first note in every failed hero story is this. It always originates in the same place with a really strong start. A really strong start. Noah's story to this point has been strong. He has been noted as being righteous, blameless, and walking with God. Those are the descriptors we've gotten about Noah. And he and his family have been the vehicle by which God is going to deliver a sinful and a broken world. They have been marked out by God's grace. They have been delivered through the waters of God's judgment. And in this text, they, they are emerging. He and his boys are emerging from the ark, ringed with a rainbow of God's promises. It's like, ah, you're thinking, oh, here it is. The righteous, blameless one who's been walking with God. Everything is broken, but God just cleansed the system with the waters of judgment. And now this family is going to repopulate the earth. Surely, finally, we have found the snake crusher. Our hero has arrived. You feel it in verses 18 and 19. Let me read it back to you and just feel this note that there's a certain amount of hope if you're reading straight through the story. It says, the sons of Noah who went forth uh, from the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah and from these, the people of the whole earth were gonna be dispersed or populated. So here they are exiting the ark, ringed with the rainbow of God's promises. And we're thinking, wow, look at this family. The family that has survived where all else have failed. Surely this is the promised family. Noah has been at it for 600 years at this point and his track record is stellar. Can you imagine 600 years of faithfulness where the only descriptors are righteous and blameless and walking with God? That is a pretty strong start. And the truth is that the contours of failed hero stories, it always originates with a strong start. 
for many of us, this is the journey with our parents, if we're honest. You know, the journey with our parents is that in the early days, our parents can do no wrong because we, we don't have concept for wrong outside of our parents. They sustain our life. They feed us and care for us and stay awake for the night. They stand through sermons rocking us so we'll fall asleep. You know, like our parents tend to us. They care for us. And as children, they are rightfully our heroes. We look at them and you go, whenever I'm hurt, you tend to me. When things feel like they're coming undone, you have the answers. We don't know as a child that they're scared and weak and don't have the answers. We're not aware of that. What we think is, You're my alpha and omega. You tuck me in and you wake me up and you make my meals and you tend to everything. We are born with heroes at the center of our story. And it's a really strong start. They deliver. Many of us have stories of those those early years of the ways that our parents delivered. And, And it's not always an only parents, but that certainly is the part where the story often starts. The contours of a hero's story originating with a strong start. It's, it's maybe the, the person that steps into your life and is a spouse that loves you and tends to you and you stand on your wedding day with such high hopes and you go, oh, you're gonna be my safest place in the world. You've whisked me off my feet and you've been so kind to me and here we are with friends and family and you're making promises that you are gonna be here for, for better or for worse. And we go, what a strong start. You see, Hero stories always originate in the same place. And, and I would say even more dangerous than, than the way that others fill that role, it's the way that we start to fill that role in other people's lives, where we have a strong start, maybe as mom or dad or friend or spouse, and we start to believe the narrative that, you know what, in fact, I am the rescuer here. You've had a hard journey, but now I'm here to love you. I'm gonna make everything better. I'm gonna fix it for you. We actually love these stories. We love to inhabit these stories together and play the charade together. Like, if you will allow me to play the role of hero, I will rescue you and I will feel good and you will be safe. The only struggle is that every one of these stories is fated to have a really painful twist. As Ben Rector calls it, the realities of growing up. And just following a strong start, there, there's always this, this pivot around a humiliating misstep. A humiliating misstep. You, <laughs> it's a happy sermon. You know what? It's actually an honest sermon. It's honest like the Bible is honest. I love that the scriptures teach us how to tell stories. The scriptures are so not religious. (laughs) Like we tell, a good religious story is one where we polish up all the edges and we make it really presentable and it's like, look, we're, we're fulfilling all the principles and we're doing the right things and we're following the right steps. And the way that God tells stories is so different It's honest and it has no polish. He's telling the story of Noah and just as Noah is ringed by the rainbow with his boys with him, the next chapter is a moment of incredible honesty. There is no spin in this text. God is teaching us how to tell our stories. Hear the way that he describes the humiliating misstep, the twist in the story. It says, Noah began to be a man in the soil and he planted a vineyard. 
He drank of the wine and he became drunk. That word in Hebrew means drunk. (laughs) Every time, it just means like intoxicated, tipsy, drunk, not in his right mind. Noah is not a man of self-control, dependence, fullness. He is a man of weakness and drunkenness in this moment. And it says, he was drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. Every time that term uncovered is used in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean nude, but it carries a a, a sense of shame. He is exposed in his folly. He lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took the garment, they laid it on their shoulders, they walked backwards and they covered the nakedness of their father. Their their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. You see, you get this kind of unexpected twist in the story. You'd say, God, if you're, you're telling the story, we can just bypass this one, right? It's like, no, this is actually really important for you to feel the realities of what's happening here. That yes, Noah has been walking with me and he has been used to help deliver humanity through the waters of judgment but look he is deeply flawed here's a humiliating misstep in his drunkenness and in his nakedness and his shame here he is laying there and his sin has a chemical reaction with the sin of his son this is how family systems work (laughs) the sin of mom and dad has a chemical reaction with the sin of their children And it's like sitting in chemistry class when you combine the elements and all of a sudden they start to fizz and bubble and overflow and you're like, oh wow, this is a mess. What what did we do? Because it's his youngest son who comes in and immediately breaks the fifth commandment. He's not respecting his father, he's mocking him. He's coming out and telling his brothers like, get a load of this, the blameless and the righteous one, look at him. Look at him in all of his shame and he's, he's exposed in this way. Whatever it is that is in the son's heart, we know that it is sinful and broken, that he is looking on the weakness of his father with a certain amount of disrespect, maybe even disgust. He goes and he gets at his brothers and you can see that his brothers immediately recognize the wickedness that's going on in the, in the youngest brother's heart saying, they, they, all of this language making it clear that they wanted to make sure not to repeat the sin of their brother, but already there's this system that is at work here. The brokenness and the humiliation of this misstep. This chemical reaction reveals very clearly this is not the snake crusher. This is not the one that's come to deliver, that's come to heal. I, I've been wrestling with this painful observation. This is the only event that is recorded in the last 350 years of Noah's life. So he lived almost a millennium, something happening with the cosmology of the world, perhaps with the flood. We don't understand exactly how they lived a really long time, but after the flood, there was a decrease in ages. And the way that the story is told under the inspiration of the Spirit, this historical event, we see that that Noah lived 950 years. And in the last 350 years of his life, there's only one event. It's this one. That's the way God tells the story. This is uncomfortable for us to own that we can have years and years and years of accumulated faithfulness and one humiliating misstep cast a really long shadow over our story. You feel that, right? That, that we build a reputation slowly and patiently and it can be thrown away overnight. 
I remember sitting with the pastor of the, the largest church in Canada. We had become friends this about 15 years ago. He was a very prominent pastor at the time. And, and uh, he and I were sitting and having lunch and I was just asking stories about his experience and his life. And he made a really haunting comment to me that I was thankful at the early stages of ministry to have someone truthfully say to me, but he said, listen, we don't, we don't live our lives scared, but we do live our lives urgent on guard. He said, I'm always 20 minutes away from throwing all of it away. And so are you. You see, there's that humiliating misstep, that, that journey that all of a sudden we've been crafting a hero narrative and then we're confronted with the fact that no, in fact, this story is a story of weakness and brokenness and missteps. This is an ominous story. Every story has painful pivots. I remember sitting with a friend who said to me, and just a moment of real honesty, he said, you know, I remember the first time my dad got really angry, like really angry. He said, I was scared. I was maybe somewhere between seven and 10 years old. And he said, I ran and I hid in the closet hoping he wouldn't find me, but he found me. And when he opened the door, I was cowering and waiting to see what he was gonna do and he hit me. And he said, he wasn't disciplining me. He didn't spank me, he hit me. He hit me in the face. And this is what I remember him saying. He said, and we both looked into each other's eyes and what we knew is it was never gonna be the same. You know those moments? I, I'm so thankful that the Bible tells honest stories to help us be honest with our own stories, to go to those moments where the people that we thought would deliver just didn't. It's maybe not always that painful, but it's always true. And that we're left looking at them going, it's never gonna be the same, is it? What do I do with this? Not everyone in this room, but many are in their 20s and 30s. And, and really that, that season of life is about making sense of your childhood. <laughs> you know, in our 20s and 30s, we're left wondering, what are we gonna do with the uncomfortable pivot points, the places where heroes proved not to be heroes? the places where we were let down and disappointed? Are we gonna settle down into those narratives and start to churn in them and retell them and let them come undone in us? Are we gonna be the sort of people that smuggle anger into every subsequent interaction because it wasn't supposed to be this way? We're left wondering, how are we going to do this? And maybe even more pointedly, we have to wrestle with this reality. What about the moments where we were the one that pulled the rug out on someone else? where they were the ones looking back into our eyes in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our lack of self-control, in the midst of our shame, and we had to own the fact that their world right now is crumbling because I haven't handled it properly. That moment where you lose it with your child because you're just exhausted and angry, you lose it with a spouse and you go, I, I was the one who stood on the wedding day and promised that I would be your safest place. How can I do this? What do we do with the failed hero narrative. Especially when it's, it's a baseline on growing up. You see, the failed hero narrative, it, it has a strong start, it has a humiliating misstep, 
And, and the last uncomfortable step that we have to take together is this, is own the fact that it has lingering consequences. Before we can talk about what we do with this narrative, we have to own it completely that our humiliating missteps have lingering consequences. That we, we can't just go, well, let's, let's pretend that didn't happen. The Bible tells the story honestly and it invites us to do the same. And I want you to feel the, the implications of this broken family system that now has generational impact. Stick with me as we look at the way that Noah responds to this misstep says verse 24 when Noah awoke from his wine what a statement <laughs> have you ever been in that moment awakening from your wine this is the idea of he's he's maybe hung over maybe still drunk this is where Noah is and he knew what his youngest son had done to him and so he said cursed be Canaan now who was his son who did something to him who was it Ham, yeah, good. So it's Ham, but he awakes from his wine in his shame and in his embarrassment and realizing that he's been disrespected by his son and he starts speaking curses. Now, interestingly, these are the only words recorded of Noah's entire 950-year life. This is it. It's the only time he has spoken in the story. And it's him awaking from his wine and cursing the wrong person cursing the youngest son of his youngest son. He's calling for his grandson, who as best we can tell in the story, hasn't been involved at all. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And then he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. A threefold curse on Canaan, his grandson. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years and the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. I mean, it, so one, I hope we feel this text. If right now it feels heavy in the room, I just want you to feel the text is heavy. My job is just to expose the text to you. I don't get to laugh and tell jokes as we're watching someone that has been the vehicle of healing in the world come crumbling down and you just go, okay, he awoke from his drunken stupor, he cursed his grandchild and he died the end. It's heavy for a reason. It's a, it's a hero story that is crumbling, it's heartbreaking. And this would have had pointed impact for the original audience. Remember the original audience is the people of Israel who've just been set free through the waters of the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness and they are pointed and ready to enter into the promised land. And who are their enemies that they're going to go and under the command of God, eradicate and kill? Do you remember their names? The Canaanites. The original audience is poised, waiting to go into the promised land, knowing that they're about to go to war against the Canaanites and they're hearing the origins of the Canaanites. And they're saying they are a cursed people because of the family brokenness that has been in our family since the very beginning that Noah cursing these people they were are cursed to be servants the curse of Noah has proven to be prophetic and powerful that now all of a sudden these people really are pitted against one another because of the brokenness and the sin that is that has tainted their stories 
Uh, You see, we're confronted with this question. What are we going to do in the wake of the humiliating misstep that has lingering consequences? What are we gonna do? For Noah, he wakes up and he's defensive. He lashes out. He speaks for the first time and the only language that we have of him is is these first words of speaking curses over his own family. The question is, what, what do we do with the contours of our stories? Maybe this is where you're living today and the lingering consequences of the humiliating missteps. The sadness and the brokenness of being someone that is, that is growing up in a broken world. And so we come to the end of a story like this when we go, okay, and Noah died, the end. And it's, it's instructive and it's, it's good for us to be reminded. I, I just wanna help situate us here in this room together. Why we come every week and we do this together. We do this week after week after week so that we might finally learn our story. It's storytelling. Not like preaching is storytelling, it sometimes is, but our worship gathering from beginning to end is storytelling because we actually have to learn how to tell our stories in a broken world. We have to learn how to grow up. To grow up where we're disappointed and we've been mistreated and people didn't deliver the way that we thought and we're left in the midst of a story where if we're honest, every story is marked by tragedy and sadness at one level or another and we go, how are we going to tell this story? And the truth is the only way we can make sense of our stories is to finally identify the hero properly. The snake crusher did arrive after pages and pages of your Bible, we're only on Genesis 9, and if you just flipped through, what you would find is it's page after page after page of failed hero stories. It's the whole, it's the whole that's what this book is. There aren't, there aren't any heroes. You know, there's Israel, the father of God's people. He was the deceiver. You know, you get the deliverers after they're, you get Samson show up with all of his power, but he can't say no to, to the foreign women. His heart continues to chase after women and lead to brokenness. And then in the wake of him, Saul raises up and you go, oh, finally, we're gonna have a king on the throne who's anointed with the spirit of God. But in all of his half-heartedness, he continues to worship in ways that don't honor God. And then David takes the throne and you go, oh, the one who is after God's own heart, surely, finally, he will deliver. We have a good king on the throne, but he is a an absent father, and he takes multiple wives, including one that isn't his wife, and he's marked. His son is the wisest of all, but he too fails. And all of a sudden you go, "It's, it's, it's the contours of the same narrative over and over and over, and then he arrives. And when Jesus arrives, we say, oh, the snake crusher is here. He has a really strong start. For 33 years, what we watch of Jesus' story, the snippets that we get, is constant compassion, care, love, and kindness. And then humiliation crashes down on his story, but it's different than the humiliation of every other story. Jesus, too, is shamefully uncovered, stripped naked for all to see, offered sour wine in that moment that he rejects and in total sobriety 
he absorbs the humiliation, not of his own missteps, but of yours and mine. What he says is, put it all on me. This story needs a hero, and it's never had one. And Jesus, in the midst of his humiliation, he takes the humiliation of the world onto himself and he buries it. And in his resurrection power, he speaks a better word over our lives. You see, the story that we rehearse every week is finally learning how to tell our story. We confess our sin, recognizing we are not the heroes. And we will do great damage to those around us if we try to fulfill that role. And so we strip it down week after week. And we set our gaze on Jesus and say, you really are the hero, not just of the world, but of my story. And as he is finally put in his proper place, his humiliating act has lingering consequences over your story and mine as well, speaking freedom and fullness and health and wholeness. Listen, the ways that others have sinned against you and the ways that you have sinned against others does not tell your story. The lingering consequences of what your parents did or did not do does not set the contours of your story. The ways that you have failed your spouse or your children or the people that you made promises to, it does not have the last word in your life. There is a hero in the story. He has crushed the head of the serpent and he has spoken a better word over our lives. And what he is saying is, give me all of your humiliation, like truly, all of it. And then you'll finally be able to forgive. You don't have to smuggle anger into the rest of your life because of what mom did, because of what dad said, or because of the way your spouse mistreated you. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to smolder in your shame anymore. There is a hero. And he has taken your humiliation. And he is on a throne with perfect grace and mercy and fullness saying, come to me. I have abundant and unending pleasure for you. You're free. He's so heroic. Would you come to him? Have your heart melted so that you can finally extend the forgiveness you need to extend. Finally receive the forgiveness you need to receive. And let's walk freely out into the world knowing that we were never the heroes, but that he truly is. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, thank you for not leaving us in the midst of our brokenness and our shame. We are all marked by missteps. Coming to terms with that is what it means to grow up. And I pray that as we take the painful steps of growing up in a broken world, that you would draw near to us, you would love us, that you would even feed us now as we come to the table, that you would rebuild us and restore us. I pray that you would renew families, that where some have been smuggling bitterness and cynicism and anger in their hearts for for years, 
I pray that even today they would make the hard decision to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive. I can't carry this anymore. I pray, God, that where we need to ask for forgiveness, but that we're tempted to just awake from our wine and curse and be strong and to defend, I pray that we would lay that down finally and admit our weakness and our brokenness and ask for forgiveness where it needs to happen. Restore us from all the ways that we have, we have broken our story, God. I pray that you would heal. So, Jesus, you're our hero. You're our king. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.